Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, and looking forward to this next synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and everyone knows that now, so I need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said... We're going to get to this week's episode where I share some final thoughts before we all head off to Synod. Well, as we've gotten closer to Synod, I've found myself thinking a lot about the book of Nehemiah, especially the beginning of the book and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Nehemiah finds out that Jerusalem's in shambles, right? Everything's been destroyed, and he's broken by it. And he weeps over the ruin of Jerusalem. But instead of just weeping, his first reaction is to turn to God in prayer and repentance because he knows that the destruction of Jerusalem is the result of Israel's unfaithfulness. So he turns to God in faith, in repentance, and hope. And what's beautiful is that kind of flowing out of his faith, repentance, and hope is this incredible boldness and faithfulness. Nehemiah boldly approaches the king. He he boldly leads a group of people to Jerusalem. He faithfully and diligently does his work of leading the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. He boldly and faithfully continues to do his work, even in the midst of false accusations and attacks and conflict. None of that, none of that causes Nehemiah to back down because he knows two things. One, God is faithful, and he will never leave him nor forsake him. And two, it was the unfaithfulness of the people that brought this destruction upon them in the first place. And further unfaithfulness would not make anything better. So, in faith... In repentance and in hope, Nehemiah leads the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. My, my second favorite part of this entire story, we'll get to my first favorite part in a little bit, but my second favorite part of the whole story is the part of the story that most people usually either skim or even skip because it's really tedious to read, right? Chapter 3 of Nehemiah. Chapter 3 is this long, very long list of everyone involved in rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem and and all of the menial tasks that were required to to make that happen. We read about all these different people and their families who are building different portions of the walls or the gates or the towers around the city. 
And it's a reminder that this was not the work of one man, but it was the work of a ton of people working together, and they were working together in the midst of conflict and turmoil, but they were all working together toward the same goal. But my favorite part of the entire story is in chapter 6, where we read, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. I mean, that's powerful. When, when everyone saw the, that the work was done, nobody said, wow, look how diligent and faithful and hardworking those Jews were. That's not what they said. They didn't say anything about the people. They said, the only way this could have happened is if God had done it. And they gave glory to God. And you know, I think this is a really important reminder for all of us as we head off to Synod this year and and even in years to come. I think it's really easy for us to head into Synod with this idea that we are going to accomplish great things and we're going to accomplish great tasks. And it's Easy to head into synod relying on our own strength and our own might and our own power and our own intellect. But God's typical pattern is not to use the wise and the powerful to accomplish his purposes. God's typical pattern is to use the weak and the powerless. One verse that, or one passage that has kind of become my life verse over the years is from the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. We read, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And it's a reminder for every one of us that God didn't call us because we were wise or because we were powerful or because we had authority. God called us because we were fools and we were weak, and we were lowly, and we were despised, and we were nothing. And that's why God chose us, and that is why God is sending us to Synod, so that he can use a bunch of weak, lowly, despised fools to shame the strong and the powerful. And God's doing this so that he is the one who gets all of the glory and not us. Because if we're honest, if, we, if we're living in reality, we know it's not about us. This is all about our God. And we better not forget that. This morning, I was in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9 for my devotions. And I love the, the reminder that God gives his people. He says to them, Once you get into the promised land, you better not say that you're there because of your own righteousness or your abilities. You're in the promised land because God brought you into the promised land, period. This isn't about you. 
And that same truth applies to Reformation in the Christian Reformed Church. If God chooses to bring about Reformation in this ruined denomination, we better not try to boast or brag about what we accomplished. And we better not say that it happened because we were more righteous or we were more special than anybody else. We better not try to pretend like we did anything to accomplish this or deserve this. Rather, we need to get on our knees and thank God that he did it. And then we can go into the world boasting in and glorifying God for accomplishing this work. And here's what's really beautiful about heading to Synod with all of these things in mind. When we head to Synod with that in mind, that we are weak and foolish and lowly, we are completely freed to be faithful and bold in the work God has called us to do. Because if you go to Synod trying to show how wise and powerful and worthy you are, you're going to be in bondage because you're always going to be trying to show everyone how wise and powerful and worthy you are. And you're going to be angry and frustrated and anxious anytime anyone questions your wisdom or your power or your authority. But if you head to synod realizing that you're nothing and that you're a fool and that you're weak and that you have no power, then it doesn't matter what anyone says about you. People can yell whatever they want. They can call you whatever they want. They can falsely accuse you and slander you and all of those things. And your response will be, boy, I could tell you a lot worse things about myself. I'm worse than you think. And you won't be wounded or injured or angered by those things. You will just continue to rely on God because That's what you're doing in the first place. And you'll continue to just faithfully carry out the work that he's called you to do. And it frees you. You're free from anxiety because you realize it's not about you. It's about God that you realize that if this reformation is going to happen, God's the one who's going to do it. And so we rest in that and we trust God. And then we just faithfully do what God has called us to do. And this frees us to be more like R.C. Sproul. I love R.C. Sproul. He's been a a distant mentor. I've never met him personally, but I've read his books and watched him lecture, and I've been discipled by him heavily. And last year, I read uh, Stephen Nichols' biography of R.C. Sproul. And in that biography, Stephen Nichols said that R.C. strove his entire life to be what he called a joyful warrior. And I think for any of us who've read his books and watched him interact with people and listen to his teaching, I think we can see that that's who he was. You know, every time he was interacting with people, he was the guy who was constantly joking and laughing and teasing. And he was laughing until he cried and he brought everybody else. They were laughing until they cried. But he was also the guy who who was unafraid to speak and he was unafraid to defend the truth of God. And he would do it with boldness and conviction. You know, R.C. Sproul, in one breath, he could rebuke an entire conference, thousands of people by saying, what's wrong with you people? And then in the very next breath, jokingly say, well, I wanted to make sure this one was lively and not boring, like the last time we had a Q&A. That's a joyful warrior. And you can't be a joyful warrior 
unless you understand that you're nothing and unless you're completely relying on God. There's no joy in trying to keep up your reputation. There's no joy in trying to promote your intelligence. There's no joy in worrying, worrying, worrying about what's going to happen and how things are going to turn out. So if you go to synod thinking you're a big deal, you're going to be full of fear and anxiety and you'll have no joy. And let's be honest, you will accomplish nothing. But if you get over yourself and you recognize that you're weak and powerless and then you entrust yourself fully to God, then you're free to be a joyful warrior. And you can laugh when people slander you because you don't think that much about yourself. You can speak boldly and faithfully because you're more worried about what God thinks of you than anybody else at Synod or the rest of the world. And you'll be able to stand firm in defending God's word in God's church because you know that he's the one who's going to do the work. And he's the one who promised to build his church. And he's the one who promised that the gates of hell will never stand against it. Joyful warriors fight because God has placed them in a battle. But they're joyful because they know that God is with them in the battle. I want to end this the same way I ended it last year because I think it's still extremely relevant. This is still the way I feel as I head off to Synod 2023 this year. I think we all know it's going to be a difficult one. Most likely it's going to be way more difficult than last year. We know there's going to be trials and afflictions and difficulties. And so I want to end this with a portion from Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. But I want to tailor it again for us as we head off to Synod. You know, I ask if if you're not a delegate to Synod, please, please, please hold us up in your prayers. We're going to need the strength. We're going to need the wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But for those heading off as delegates to Synod in particular, I want this to be your prayer and your attitude as you go. This is from Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, as Paul gives his farewell to the Ephesian elders, but tailored for us heading off to Synod. And now, we're going to Synod, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to us there, except that the Holy Spirit continues to testify that difficulty, trials, and afflictions await us. But we don't account our lives of any value, nor as precious to ourselves. If only we may finish the course in the ministry that we've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Go to Synod. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. But by faith, be joyful, be bold, be faithful, and keep fighting the good fight in this messy Reformation. See you after Synod.